Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Today, folks, we are returning to the world of real estate and corruption and big business and inequality and, some would argue, conspiracy. In part one of this two-part series, we dove into the allegations that large financial institutions are buying up homes or entire neighborhoods and pushing out would-be new homeowners in favor of creating long-term rentals and therefore guaranteed income streams for shareholders. If you have not heard part one of this series, uh, do uh, do urge you to check that out first. It's going to answer a lot of your questions about the evolution of this situation that, again, uh, has been called a conspiracy or at the very least a problem. But uh, for now, we're going to give you a brief recap, uh, just a high-level look at what we explored previously before we move on to the next issues, the nuts and bolts of the process, the present day, and the dangers this may present for millions of people in the future. 
Here are the facts. Uh, so big surprise. We, <laughs> we found that not everyone agrees about this issue. Uh, there are a lot of competing viewpoints. There are a lot of people saying, actually, don't worry. There are a lot of people saying we are absolutely up the wrong creek with zero paddles. There's a single metric that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of talk of inflation that is occurring because it is occurring at ridiculous levels right now. But one statistic, one metric that we looked at in episode one was the median home price, which in 1960 was around $98,000, uh, the equivalent of $98,000 today. It was only 11000 not like $12,000 basically in 1960. Uh, but today, the median home price, it depends on what you look at, is around $400,000, uh, some, sometimes 340000 depending on the area of the United States you're living in. But just thinking about the difference between less than 100000 and then 300000 or more now, like it just right. shows you what's happened to the average person, like individual or family that's attempting to purchase or own a home right now. And this is outside of inflation. I mean, certainly, you know, the cost of a home in the 60s is going to be significantly less than it is today, but this is ballooned beyond just standard inflation rates. Mm -hmm. This is outpaced inflation. That's a growth rate of 121% from $11,900 to around uh, $11,900 to, uh, would you say the median was, Matt, kicking it around $400,000? Uh, yeah. Maybe a little less. But let's say, the, say three to yeah. 400000 There we go. And that is a life-changing amount of, uh, that's a life-changing margin, right? That's $100,000 US. But uh, another thing that's important to point out whenever we talk about a median over this large of a sample size is that, yes, there are many of us listening along today who are thinking, 300000 that's crazy. That's a mansion where I live. And that's true. But that's the danger of medians, because as you know, anybody who's lived in San Francisco versus Tulsa knows that home prices vary widely. And the rule typically is the um, more densely populated an area is and the more urbanized it is, the higher the price will be. You'll pay more for less home. Yeah. So in Atlanta, you're like 300,000 is a super low price for a house in Atlanta. It's yes. honestly a fixer upper um, in certain mm -hmm. parts of the city. And uh, you may not want to ask too much about the asbestos or the lead. So you'll, it's true. It's true after, you know, we all read a lot about this. Uh, I broke my brain on some things here. And it's true that some folks are perhaps being a little bit alarmist. Because as of now, as we found in episode one, financial institutions aren't buying up all the houses ever. If you look at the numbers, these institutions actually, e even the big ones, the big four, like invitation homes here in Atlanta, they actually control only a small slice of the 140 million what are called housing units throughout the U.S. Again, a housing unit is everything from an apartment complex to a mansion to a you know single uh, family home, detached, three bedrooms, two bathrooms. But yeah, in, a, yeah, in addition to that, we found it's not so much the size of the pie they're eating. It's not so much the absolute number of housing units they're purchasing, but it's the 
type of units they're purchasing. Kind of like how in a pan of brownies, the, the crust side, right, the edge of the brownie pan, I think everybody can argue, is a, a, a different type of brownie experience. So they're not buying the entire brownie pan, right? That's not their goal. Their goal is to get what they see as the uh, delicious crust parts. They're looking, they're targeting, they have a strategy. They absolutely do. I mean, they're targeting certain types of demographics, certain types of neighborhoods, uh, and we've certainly seen evidence uh, that shows that this was not something that had been happening um, all, all along. This is a relatively new strategy. Um, and, you know, Ben, I was going to bring up, you know, like, what about the housing crash when everyone was underwater on their mortgages and the prices of houses, you know, fell and the value of houses fell? Um, how did we claw our way back from that to where we are now? And and as you found, Ben, um, not only is it related, it maybe was as a, a result of, you know, where it was like, you know, measures being put in place intending to stave off uh, that happening again, uh, foreclosure crises of the, and the like. But these measures may have had severely unintended consequences or maybe not unintended. I don't know. Well, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And my dear, strongly anti-regulation friends in the crowd today, you're going to love this. Uh, yeah, so, so first to step back, to put it plainly, the argument is that were these financial institutions not buying very specifically targeted homes and neighborhoods, first time would-be home buyers would finally be able to escape the rent trap. But with those things removed from the market, they no longer have that option for their first step home. As far as the roots of this phenomenon, we trace them back to the 2008 crash at least. And here's what you'll love, fellow conspiracy realists who are against regulations in general. The Fed stepped in and brought some incentives, right? They And they had good intentions, like you're saying, Noel. Uh, they wanted to stave off the specter of massive homelessness, right? And, and uh, a continuing foreclosure crisis by saying, hey, institutional investors, come in here, get, get some of your sweet, sweet green bucks into this and help us create a situation where maybe people can't afford a mortgage, right? Maybe they can't afford to buy a home, but set it up such that they can rent until they have financially recovered to the point that they can indeed one day buy a home. Now, of course, when I say that, I'm sure uh, hundreds of thousands of us just groaned and said, come on, Ben, everybody knows that mortgages often end up being cheaper than rent. And that is absolutely true in many parts of the country. So shout out to everyone who, who just thought of that. I'm with you. Well, also, once you open those floodgates, I mean, it's hard to close them back up, you know, when, when, when the benefit is clearly uh, in the camp of the, the investors and, and the, uh, the developers. They're not just going to willingly give that back to the people unless the government makes them, which they're not. I, I want to talk about strategy really quickly again. I don't think we hit it last episode. If we did, I apologize to everyone listening uh, to this one immediately after the first one. But I want to jump to an article in the New York Post by Larry Getlin titled How Corporations Are Buying Up Homes, Robbing Families of the American Dream. He references a book titled Underwater, How Our American Dream of Homeownership Became a Nightmare by Ryan December. And 
in this article and through Ryan's words, uh, it talks about a company called Progress Residential. And it's a company that buys up homes, what we're talking about right now, and specifically is uh, targeting a segment of the population. And uh, I'm just going to read you what it says in this article. Uh, Progress Residential, which owned around uh, 20,000 homes, I believe that's in 2016, uh, sought to provide, quote, an aspirational living experience for tenants who were typically about 38 years old and married with a child or two, an annual income of around $88,000, less than stellar FICO credit scores, around 665 generally, and a hobbling 45000 on average of debt. Of some sort. Yes, exactly. If they wanted to live the middle-class lifestyle to which they were accustomed, they'd have to rent. Like, that's yeah. the, the concept. You, you won't be able to find a house that's affordable in that school district you want to be in. You're going to have to rent one of our properties. And the school district is key because we're ultimately they're looking for places where families would live rather than individuals. It's all well and good if an individual goes for it, but uh, the make no mistake, the school district is a huge part of the strategy here. And it's not just some folks sitting around a boardroom looking at a map necessarily. That's part of it. But there's a lot of very clever algorithmic strategy being applied as well. Look, regardless of where you may find yourself currently in terms of uh, socioeconomics or in terms of ideology, spiritual or political leanings, the truth is this. Not everyone agrees on how to approach the problem, but it is increasingly difficult to pretend a problem does not exist. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsors. We'll tell you exactly what we mean. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Here's where it gets crazy. Let's go back to one of the Atlantic articles uh, mentioned in part one of this series. To be clear, the corporations and institutions involved don't see themselves as fat cat villains. From their perspective, they are the good guys here, and it's important for us to give space to that um, that understanding so you get a sense of their perspective. Their thoughts, as far as we can tell from public statements and some internal documents, uh, their thought seems to genuinely be they could be better landlords, partially because they have more capital to draw upon. And in theory, that is absolutely true. Uh, the Atlantic cites Diane Toom, uh, who's the executive director of a trade group called the National Rental Home Council. It was established in 2014, so not super old, but they've been around for a while, a while after everything went to pot in 2008, I should note. Yeah, they're essentially a lobbying group for these companies that own a crap ton of rental homes. Yeah, it's like the Dairy Association. Check out that episode on <laughs> uh, Big Cheese, uh, the Cheese Spiracy. So... So according to Diane Toome, talk about nominative determinism, uh, single-family rental companies professionalize the rental sector that's traditionally run by mom-and-pop landlords. Like uh, many of us know, myself included, know uh, people who have been able to kind of cycle through. They got in with one house. They turned that into a rental. Instead of selling it, they bought another rinse and repeat. And a lot of people have met with success there. And I don't want to diminish that success because it is hard work. But we'll, what, what do they mean by professionalize? We'll dissect that in a little bit. Let's go on to the second thing that the institutions admit is part of their secret sauce. They make a hefty profit while doing this. They're saying, yes, we're giving better service. 
Yes, Uncle Sam, we're helping people avoid living rough and sleeping in the streets, but we're not entirely doing it as an act of altruism. They phrase this as a win-win. It's a way to rescue neighborhoods while also, quote, creating a long-term permanent income stream for our shareholders. That quotation comes from Frederick Toomey, who once upon a time was the president of Invitation Homes, one of the biggest players in this game. And Toomey is right on that count. Just in the example of Invitation Homes, they are now the largest single-family rental company in the United States. So, If you're renting from a company now, uh, the odds are most likely that they will be invitation homes if you're renting a single family home, not like, you know, living in a condo or renting an apartment. But housing trends did work out for the investors because there are fewer homes being built between 2007, 2017. The U.S. added less than one million households in owner occupied homes but they added 6.5 million in renter-occupied homes. So if you are looking to own a home, understand that there are many other people looking to do the same, and it becomes its own job, right, to find a house that you can own. And a lot of it, like, let's talk about, let's talk about the process. This is where it gets kind of hairy. So a lot of families want to live in a spacious house, you know, a house where your family can grow because your kids aren't going to want to live in, they're not going to be want to be roommates forever, right? So <laughs> they want to live in a good house with a lot of space in a good neighborhood with a, this is key, again, a good school district. But due to economic realities that beset so many people in this country, many could no longer afford to do so as Owners, you could buy a house on the outskirts of some place, right? Increasing your commute, uh, and then putting your kids in a, you know, a public school program you didn't particularly love. Or you could say you could do the math and say, well, maybe I get a, a house that's not in the hottest, most Tony part of town, but I save enough money that I can afford to send my kids to a private school. That works for some people, but not all. I mean, my situation is interesting in that my daughter's mom and I are not together, but we're very close and co-parent. And um, I was able to buy this house because she rents a place in a really good school district, which I could never in a million years have afforded to buy a house in, even though it's only about 10 minutes away from the place where I live. And the school district lines are really tricksy. And uh, it's almost it's nearly impossible to. That's honestly one of the biggest factors in home price in a lot of ways is, is the school district. Absolutely. Uh, Just one other thing to remember, just through personal experience, when you are attempting to even rent a home, if you're not attempting to buy a home, one of the things these companies do is give minimal windows between finding a home you want to rent if it works for your price and actually getting to see the house that you are going to rent. Uh, A lot of these companies will get you to sign a document stating your intent to lease the home or basically to sign a lease before you ever get to step foot in a home and see the condition that it's in or anything about it. I mean, in other words, all the power is in their hands, you know, from the word go. Right. And that is how the system uh, works. That's how it's designed to be. And it's not illegal. That's another important note here. No one right now is breaking the law. And when you feel like something's screwy and you know that it's not technically illegal, the time then is not necessarily to question 
philosophical, soft science stuff like ideology. The time is to question the letter, nature, and intent of the laws. So simply put, here's the process. Here's how the sausage is made. Let's say we are Illumination Global Unlimited. As everybody knows, that's the parent company of both Blackstone and BlackRock. Uh, so you, here's what we do. We go to a market like Atlanta, because that's easy for us to riff on, and we find a distressed neighborhood. You can find this in many ways by looking at average income, by looking at rate of foreclosure, by looking at crime rate. There are any number of statistics you can just throw, or metrics rather, that you can just throw into the blender until you get the perfect, perfect smoothie of opportunity. These neighborhoods will likely not be filled with very well-to-do people, but what you're really looking at is an established good school district because you are putting yourself in the mind of a starter family buying their first home, something we can afford. And not only can we, not only can we afford this uh, aspiration, as they put it, but we can stay there for a while and we can take our kids, hopefully all the way from first grade to uh, senior year of high school. And then if you're the investment firm, if you are Illumination Global Unlimited properties, in this case, you move as quickly as possible to obtain as many housing units in a concentrated area that meet those requirements, that meet those constraints. And as soon as you get them, you turn them into rentals. Now you are ensuring a steady, predictable, consistent income stream for yourself and your shareholders. And you are also kind of cutting off those other, those families at the pass because they'll say, okay, we love this home, right? Three bedrooms, two and a half baths. Yeah. They, you know, it's outdated, right? But that's fine because we will have, you know, decades to fix this up. And then they see that, uh, an uh, institution owns it and they're not interested in selling it. They'll rent it to you for sure, but they're not going to sell it because it's theirs now. So you go, okay, down the street, there's another for sale sign. So let's go over there. Ah, that for sale sign has been replaced by a sold sign. And now, surprise, the it's it's that same guy from Illumination Global Unlimited answering the email and says, oh, hey, Jorgensen's or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's great to talk with you again. Uh, would you prefer to rent this place? <laughs> he's just got a duffel bag full of cashier's checks that he's taken to the auction to buy mm -hmm. more homes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this, this, is a real, this is a real life occurrence. And then soon you can find that every house in that neighborhood that's in that district you want uh, that meets your own constraints is owned by an investment company. And they're not selling. But again, they argue you get advantages. If you're a corporate renter, you get innumerable advantages. Let's dissect the phrase professionalization. So every, not everybody, but a lot of people, I think, have had an experience where you're renting from someone who might be a family friend, you're renting from someone who maybe they had a, another career and they've retired now and they're getting passive income as a landlord, right? We can call this a mom and pop operation. And this mom and pop operation is kind of thing where, where you say, okay, the 
dishwasher is busted or the AC is out, I'm going to contact the landlord who's just another person who probably lives somewhere nearby and they're going to come to the house. They'll check it out. They want to save some money. So before they actually call the plumber, before they actually call the, you know, the HVAC folks, they're going to see if they can fix it. And these And I say this with immense respect because we've got some of these landlords in the audience today. These folks are the masters of always having a guy, quote unquote, having a guy. Yeah, Matt, you and I were talking about this. Noel, I'm sure you experienced this. It's just some dude, usually on a first name basis, who might be calling themselves a handyman. They might not have an official title. They've just got like a work truck with a bunch of random tools and they know what they're doing. They're like, yeah, I do a little electricity. I do a little plumbing. Shout out to Gary, the owner of the last home I rented, uh, who would just show up with his truck, like you said, and you're like, let's fix it. Uh, you know, to be fair, we did fight a battle against the basement rats for about three years, and we, we still lost. That was a huge <laughs> But we tried. Though. We tried, guys. We really fought that battle we lost you know i i rented from the same dude for uh two places i guess for almost like six years uh in total and he only not only had a guy he had an army uh he had like a ton of different people that would come and specialize in different areas whether it be hvac or plumbing or whatever and he'd come himself often as well but it was a real culture shock for me when i switched to the company that i've been talking about this excalibur homes company and to get something even the smallest thing done you have to go on this like online portal fill out a form uh, upload pictures and you know good luck if you'd hear back from anybody you know within a couple weeks and 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 if it was an emergency with like water gushing everywhere i don't even know how you go about that i had a hard time ever getting a human being on the phone and it's no shade on the the kind people that you know work there they're overloaded these folks are essentially like caseworkers they're property managers where they're managing like dozens of properties i had when i moved out i had to find my my person who it took me forever to even find and i left her several messages and i finally got her she's like I was like, did you get my message? And she was like, wait, which Noel are you? And how, how weird is that for there to have been other <laughs> Noels? Like that that really speaks to the volume of, of, uh, of, of properties this person's managing. Yeah. So the issue there is that you have, you do have a human connection with the mom and pop operations. I'm just using that phrase for the sake of convenience. I, I often, I, I'm pretty handy myself because I, I, I prize self-sufficiency. So I usually would work out a deal where I would say, okay, I know how to fix this. I can help you out. Or I'll even proactively do some improvements and kick a little off the rent. And I was pretty successful in that extent. But really what I was doing in the long game, if you think about it, anytime I did a repair, anytime I did an improvement, I was increasing equity and value for that person, right? And I was just getting kind of a coupon off as a result. So professionalization, the corporate argument is that now you as a resident of something owned by these institutions, you can treat your interaction with this landlord in much the same way you treat interactions with the utility company. We're talking about things like the ability to pay rent, renew your lease, to put in maintenance requests via an online portal. You hate phones. You don't really want to talk to your landlord, Denise. You don't have to call her. Just log on. Uh, And then there's also the idea of what you would call uniformity and centralization of service. So this 
company, right? Invitation Homes or whatever, they won't say, oh, Brian Lee will come by. He fixed my Cadillac uh, earlier last week. And uh, let me just tell you, AC compressors are on his mind or anything like that, right? Like he's our (laughs) HVAC guy. They'll say, we have a deal with this uh, local branch of a vendor, right? Of a company. And we will always send these people and we can trust their work. We've also probably got them on some sort of agreement behind the scenes, some kind of retainer. And then you can always expect the same level of service and repairs. You can also theoretically get 24-7 assistance for emergency things, uh, whether that's maintenance, unforeseen uh, breakdowns, uh, you know, like an emergency repair, like a home break-in or something. And this sounds pretty good in theory, unless this has actually happened to you, like with your example, Noel, in a case of something like catastrophic flooding, right? Or in the case of maybe smaller smaller flooding, like you're, um, you have a finished basement in a place you're renting, and it floods, and you have to contact this this landlord company, you hope they send somebody out to start mitigating the water damage, but then you also have to contend with your own insurance, which famously takes a long time to, uh, to pay up for this stuff on your policy, right? In fact, the, the usual idea is you have to pay for it out of pocket and then we'll reimburse, you know, what we feel like, or we'll reimburse according to the terms of our agreement. Hey, callback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does sound good, right? Again, in theory, but we, if you have ever rented, if you know anyone who's rented, then everybody inevitably has some kind of war story about war story or a horror story about waiting on maintenance. You can't do laundry today, can't take a shower, or you got to sweat out the weekend with no AC until someone can make it to you. Well, yeah, think about how dangerous that is with the current heat waves going through the UK and the US. I mean, like if it's if it's 115 in your small town in Texas and you can't get a hold of the company that runs your, you know, maintenance and you don't have AC and you've got, let's say, a little kid or something, that could be super, super dangerous. Absolutely. And you nailed it, Matt. Uh, people have unfortunately been in that situation before. And this happens with kids. This happens with pets, with the elderly. You know, with people who might not necessarily have the agency to improvise, adapt, and overcome those uh, those situations. And what we found is, and, and we'll get to this in a bit today, what we found is the problem here is not that the theory is bad. The theory sounds nice, actually. The problem is the theory doesn't always seem to match with the practice or implementation of these vaunted ideas. We found multiple reports up to and including lawsuits from corporate renters alleging these companies were absolutely no better than non-corporate landlords and worse at times. From the perspective, again, of these institutions, at least the stuff they say publicly, there's this sense that they were able to take this disaster, this disastrous situation, the foreclosure crisis, and through it, not just keep people in homes, but also by way of a Bob Ross-style happy little accident, they were creating a solid revenue stream along the way. Again, it's a win-win. Is it a, is it a cobalt blue revenue stream with little ripples and fish? Swimming past? You have to ask them. You have to ask them. Uh, I didn't find it in their in their statements or interviews, but but uh, 
So win-win, everything's copacetic. Not really, though. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Okay, we're back. Here's the thing. This is the thing that is haunting, okay? And this is absolutely true. When you think about it, the same class of institutional investor that is claiming this is a win-win is also 
This is also the class that helped create the financial crisis that led to the housing crash and now is profiting from the federal intervention we outlined earlier. Think of it like a fireman starting fires, driving back to the station, waiting a minute, and then driving back to the fire. They started to save the day. I don't believe that's necessarily hyperbolic. Or it's like like like, like change, changing out of their fireman outfit into their insurance adjuster outfit. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because one of the major problems that led to that crash in 08 was the combining of a bunch of different mortgages that were considered mm-hmm. subprime, right? Combining those, bundling them with a couple of like really good mortgages, right? And then pretending like they're all the same. They're all um whatever they call them A plus or double A and all sure. that stuff. But because they're actually, of the way they're packaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that all what you isn't that what you call speculation essentially? Wasn't it just rampant kind of like gaming of the system to try to make the most bang for your buck? Well yeah, a lot of that appeared uh, at least look to my understanding guys, a lot of that appear to be corruption within the institutions like uh, i think it's fannie mae and freddie mac that are like deciding is that right or wrong yeah that's, maybe i'm you're getting absolutely it wrong right it started back in we're talking about the subprime mortgage market is what it was called it started back in 1999 and uh fannie mae and freddie mac uh are despite the super innocuous names what do we always say about super innocuous names <laughs> uh fannie mae and freddie mac were are mortgage lenders, right? But they're government sponsored and they started making home loans accessible to people with pretty low credit scores and also a heightened risk of defaulting on those loans, which is saying, I can't or will not pay you. Uh, no, a lot of, you know, this is something, this is where we see an inequality in socioeconomic hierarchy, because as you know, Defaulting and risk and borrowing and debt work very, very differently for people at the at the top fringes of income and wealth, right? Owing, we say we said this before, but it's such a great such a great observation. You owe the bank ten thousand dollars. That's your problem. You owe the bank ten million dollars. That's the bank's problem. And that's kind of the the rarefied air, but you're you're nailing it, Matt. This uh, this crisis was caused by uh, aggressively futzing with the rules of the game, right? You can you can yeah. only hit the pinball machine so many times before it breaks and tilts, and it's kind of dumb to act surprised when you were the one hitting it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the investment class that you're speaking of here, Ben, they were bundling those things together and then betting that those numbers were going to keep rising and that they're going to continue making money mm-hmm. off of those products. They were just right. people's mortgages, the money that they owed to banks. <laughs> um, and then when it came crashing down, the whole system came with it as long uh, you know, as well as a ton of people's homes and abilities to live within a home and own a home or at least pay a mortgage on it. And for many of those families to further exacerbate the danger, that was their only big investment other than perhaps a car. So, and, you know, student loans are still a, a ravenous financial predator for a lot of people. Maybe a story for a different day. But, you know, in full disclosure, I am friends with, I know people who made a great deal of money 
uh, working in the mortgage industry leading up to this time. And uh, some of them, I won't give names, but some of them did have moral qualms about this. uh, And some of them didn't even realize, I think, the enormity of the sea change that was occurring. So this is what happens. And uh, you, this is not necessarily us saying these institutions purposefully created this with a plan to enact the some second half of a grand scheme in 2020 to 2022. No, but they definitely took advantage of it. And the same class, the same cohort was in a big way responsible for the housing crisis that produced this opportunity. So, all right, improvise, adapt, overcome. Who feels like this current plan has been a success? Shareholders definitely seem to dig it. Again, we're talking one of the golden geese of investing, guaranteed, safely predictable profits. You're kind of out of the land of um, speculation where you could be making 5% profit, you could lose 10% value year over year, something like that. Now we're in the land where so long as a couple of conditions are met, so long as there there are butts in the bedrooms paying you X amount of dollars every month, you can reliably predict out into the future. That's amazing. Uh, And if it weren't people involved, everybody would be, (laughs) if it it weren't for the fact that real people are getting hurt in this, this would be um, an A plus mortgage of a plan. Well, uh, you know who else I think is excited about the way this is going? Uh, local politicians. Look, I don't have the data to back this up, and I'm, I can't tell you how much these individual corporations are donating in, you know, campaign finances to to various campaigns across the country. But I bet as these big institutions with a a fairly large lobbying firm or a lobbying what what do we call that organization? The National Rental Home Council, the, uh, quote, trade group slash lobbying slash, you know, well, they've already got one of those. They're making hand money hand over fist in rent. They must be donating quite a bit of money to campaigns. I just haven't seen the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's the writing is on the back room walls uh, for sure. They, I, I imagine, yes, there are politicians who are doing quite well based on this, uh, but there are also politicians who are fighting against it, as we'll see. Uh, Mm -hmm. This, again, uh, you know, we don't want to improperly vilify people here, but there are clear... I do. Well, there. Yeah. I said improperly. Well, can we can we can we, pro- can we properly <laughs> vilify them? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think we should. Uh, there are people who don't agree that it's a win-win, and most of those folks are tenants, not just housing rights activists. Uh, remember the complaints we mentioned earlier from tenants. Well, here's an example from the Atlanta metro area in nearby Gwinnett County alone. As we speak, there are already multiple lawsuits against some of those big players. And they allege these corporations focus primarily on short-term shareholder profit and that these corporations, as a result of you know caring about the bottom line, prioritizing that over everything else, they ignore concerns about quality of life, much-needed repairs, and they've reported at times hazardous living conditions. You know, like think about something where you have a gas-powered oven and it's just not turning off. And then 
you call an emergency line and they say you need to go online and put in a form and you're like, hey, this gas is flammable. And they're like, okay, well, there's a box you can check for that and we'll have someone get back to you. <laughs> you know, now now Brian Lee or yeah. Gary is starting to look pretty good. Yeah, I d- in Gwinnett County, I looked at a home that was owned by one of these companies that if you go around the house to the backyard and looked at the where the fireplace goes up, right along the house on the back wall, you could see the siding on the back there is like melted, which means there's a there's a flaw inside <laughs> where the heat, you know, travels when you're burning things inside the house in the fireplace that obviously hasn't been repaired ever. So, you know, you just imagine if you ended up renting that home and you weren't aware of that situation, you could potentially start a fire in your own home just by using your fireplace the way it's intended to be used. Mm -hmm. And we're not, that's nuts. That is. And we, we we're not being self-absorbed necessarily by talking about Atlanta. Uh, 25% of homes purchased in the Atlanta area last year, just over 2021, 25% of those homes were bought by investors. Uh, in 2015, the rate was 50, was 12%, excuse me. So what we're seeing now is also, uh, as these rates increase, we learn more about the system. We learn more about the strategy. And here in Atlanta, uh, the one of the big demographics is that the majority of neighborhoods being targeted, they, they meet what you described, Matt, and they're also majority black neighborhoods. Also, just 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 to point out, I mean, we, we mentioned at the top of this episode um, that, you know, these the large financial institutions are only buying up a small percentage of the overall housing supply. But I believe it's correct to say that Atlanta it's 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 above average what's happening here. Absolutely. Atlanta, one could argue, is a prototype. Um or it's or it's a little bit the cycle is a little bit further ahead than other cities. You can also see this by the way in Charlotte, uh, for anybody who wants uh kind of a apples to apples understanding here. So there are people saying win-win. There are people saying not so fast. There are people saying it's the end of the middle class. And there are people saying, guys, calm down. Stop worrying. Uh, don't, don't call the Wall Street cats fat cats. That's not cool. So now we have to ask what is true. It is true that these corporations do not own a huge portion of American homes dot, 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 yet. You see, they have massive and growing structural advantages that need to be talked about. These are the, these are the ways to stack the deck such that non-corporate home buyers may be left in the dust sooner than we would like to think. And what do we mean by this? Okay, first, mortgages. Normal people typically are going to pay a mortgage, uh, realistically, four to six percent. You'll hear about some sweetheart deals, like two percent stuff. Uh, but companies like right now, it's five point nine right, one. Right. So four to six is fine for a 30 mm-hmm. year. And, you know, there are a ton of variables that can change with that. The length of your mortgage agreement, refinancing, so on. Companies, though, can borrow money for way, 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 way less. 
Oh, of course, because they, they, they get a discount on everything because they're doing it at such scale. Um, and, the, and, and again, having more capital and more investments yields the opportunity to, to parlay those deals into other deals. Um, it's a smaller scale version, but it's sort of like my friend I mentioned in the last episode, how you know you do one rental property, it allows you to have the borrowing power to get another one and another one if you pay your bills. A giant company is just a massive scaled version of this. But Ben, I, I was wondering... Um, you know, we talked about how the subprime mortgage crisis was in some ways as a result of like borrowing being very uh, easy and equitable uh, and folks maybe who shouldn't have been able to get loans being able to get loans and then that causing the crisis of people being underwater and having their houses foreclosed. But now it's Am I correct in saying that it's it's much, much more difficult and the uh, criteria much more stringent for getting a loan, period? Not to mention that the interest rates are much higher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there is an argument that I think is valid that uh, people who ordinarily should have been turned down, not just would they have been, but they should have been, were, you know, just got an attaboy and told to keep going. And in many cases, unfortunately, people might not have fully understood what they were agreeing to, right? Like a, a mortgage that, changes and balloons on you with uh, all sorts of small print fines and fee I should call them fees that are applied uh, this this is all part and parcel of the same thing if we look at the structural advantages here we said yes these companies can because capital begets capital right money makes money that's the secret uh, these companies can get huge loans at interest rates of stuff like 1.4%. And what this means in practice is that you can take you can be an institutional investor and you can afford to tack on thousands of dollars over the asking price of every home and because of that much lower interest rate you still end up getting the house at the same actual cost as the homeowner. You're just, you're moving the money differently. You're moving your costs differently. And then when we talk about paying for the house, cold, hard cash. If you had told us 12 years ago, even that uh, it would be normalized for folks to show up with a briefcase full of cash, right? Or a one and done sign a check for $800,000. If you told us that would happen, I think our first natural question would be, Wow, who calls the police first? Is it the, does the bank call the police? Does the realtor? Who is busting this drug dealer? Uh, but the, <laughs> outside of my Beverly Hills. No, man, the bank is cutting the cashier's checks. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, this, this is now normalized. And there's a great Slate article that dives into this. They look specifically at uh, some Atlanta-based stuff. And they say that, a lot of these companies use a mixture of debt and cash from renters because they already have other tenants, you know, uh, to buy houses. But typically those offers are always going to be in cash. And that is a huge leg up because what you're telling the seller or their representative is, hey, we're saving so many steps, right? We're eliminating having to have some sort of uh, relationship or you having to have a long-term relationship with a bank, et cetera. We can just, you know, always have this Saturday together. 
Not only that, it's a sure thing. Whereas even if you're pre-approved for a mortgage, um, you know, as, as anyone who's bought a house can tell you, like you're dealing with crap up until the day before the closing oftentimes in terms of getting your financial ducks in a row. Like I, I had a crisis with mine where it almost seemed like I was going to lose it or lose the particular one that I got because of some inconsistency with my rent uh, history because the house that I was renting my closing was one month before the anniversary of two years being in that property. And they all of a sudden were like, we need exactly two years of rental proof. And while I love my previous landlord that I mentioned, he was not someone that really dealt with digital files or email. Everything was on paper and uh, he doesn't live in the country anymore. So I couldn't get him on the phone. So <laughs> when you are paying cash, there's no worry that anything's going to, that the rug could be pulled out from under your, uh, your potential purchaser and, and cost you the sale of That's the That's a good point. You know, you have earnest money. You have earnest money that you'll get, you know, uh, for your trouble, but that's not the same as selling your house. And also, it's it's a bit of a trust fall, right? Any mortgage, because the the idea then is saying nothing will go super wrong for 30 years. <laughs> we'll still, you know, we'll be well and good at the end of this. And this works for a lot of people, but you, you can see logically how uh, this would be much more appealing to be able to say, okay, I'll take the... Uh, the $400,000 now, just transfer it through. But the another structural advantage here is that the ratio of home value versus rent has changed. There's a recent uh, SEC disclosure that shows a company like Invitation Homes, their portfolio now is worth like $16 billion US after renovations. Every year, the company gets about $1.9 billion in rent, which is insane. And what that means, if you play with the math a little, is that it only takes about eight years of rental payments to pay back a typical house that Invitation Homes has bought. That's, that's what it takes for them to recoup cost. And that's not a very long time at all. So these companies aren't blindly buying single-family homes just anywhere. They're not rolling the dice near as much as people might think. They're targeting these specific houses and neighborhoods. And we should add the people that would have been living there as homeowners are also the part of the U.S. population that has the greatest potential to be wealth builders for the middle class. Uh, these, that's why these companies ignore bigger, more expensive homes, especially ones that are move-in ready. You know why? Because people who are already previous homeowners, uh, wealthy, and, and no offense here, but this is how, how people have been referring to it, wealthy boomers uh, and maybe... Folks in the tech sector, right? Young, very well paid. Uh, they can afford to throw a little more cheddar at the mousetrap. And so they will, they will snap up those convenient, uh, a little more posh properties. Uh, and they're also not looking at places that are dealing with, you know, losing their population or just people who are moving away, right? In great droves. They're looking for places that are hot right now uh, for, like you said, Ben, that uh, the profitable sector to come through and just be batteries for them for <sighs> at least eight years. Robots in the matrix. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like, a, that's a great ex point, Matt, because places like Pittsburgh and Providence, uh, you won't see the same phenomenon occurring. And it makes sense that they wouldn't engage in that field or in that theater, because uh, if you are a, 
renter and you want to buy a home in Pittsburgh or Providence, then if it becomes too inconvenient, you might do what a lot of your other friends are doing and just move. So there's people are already thinking in terms of alternatives in those areas, I would posit. So the other structural advantage here is that they're programmatic in their approach, right? This isn't, they're not buying homes like a stressed out uh, couple of parents starting a family saying, hey, I've, I've got to take time off this one afternoon and do as much as I can. It's their full-time job. They can bring analysis to bear. They scientifically, systematically scour markets. They make cash offers on the most attractively priced properties. Um, Slate, Slate summarizes it by saying, while normal people buy houses when they actually need to move somewhere, savvy investors buy houses several years before a bunch of people need to move to an area. Like what we're talking about with part one, you know, the the reason uh, the, the crown of the United Kingdom possesses so much real estate, and the reason the Vatican possesses so much real estate is that they can afford to lose money on it for a long time, right? They don't need to move there now. So it makes sense they can play the long game. Yeah, that's why you see all these derelict properties in certain parts of any major city, because several of them, or I would say much of them, are owned by investment corporations that are just sitting on those things. And it's only year three of year seven that they're anticipating it'll take for a certain mm-hmm. area to grow. Exactly. Exactly. And that's calculated into the spreadsheet, into the budget projections. Uh, Atlanta is uh, home to a unique complication here. And I want to shout it out and see what you guys think. Have you heard of Stignet. It's a software program. No. Okay. Stignet, it's the creation of a guy named AJ Stegman. AJ Stegman is, as of 2022, the top residential real estate broker in all of the Atlanta metro area. He has sold more houses in Atlanta than any other broker, despite the fact that he's pretty much a one-man army and he currently lives in Florida. Very, very intelligent guy, former chess prodigy. Dude. Stegnet. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Dude, Ben, I I really thought you were gonna say Mark Spain. I don't know if you guys see his things everywhere. That dude is the billboard king. (laughs) (laughs) So it's amazing I can sell houses when I have so many billboards to take care of. Yeah. But I love the billboard advertising. (laughs) We should get a billboard. I pitched it one time. What if I combined my billboard business with my real estate business? I thought seriously, I was like, I wonder if I could buy a billboard and live in it because there's space there. That's like as big as a European or San Francisco apartment. Just put a lawn chair up there, a little cot. I build it out. Great views. You know, but, uh, and then like how, how much is rental space on a billboard? Have I stumbled into a loophole where it'll pay for itself? And then I just have to awkwardly explain to people when they come over, like, okay, you got to park by the Whole Foods and then we're going to walk over to the interstate. I would imagine. And then you would just climb up this ladder. Uh, don't, just don't look down. It's fine. Um, you know, for, for those with fears of heights, we, we offer a harness situation. I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but I imagine it would uh, fall under the same rules as like living in a commercial. Property, yeah, man, they keep sticking me. It's two things. It's getting the sofa up there and the zoning <laughs> really, but, uh, but, but, uh, 
my my aspirations aside, tell us if you do live in a billboard. I want to know more about your life. Um, aspirations aside, Steaknet is this proprietary software that this that this guy AJ invented, and what it does is scan enormous data sets to identify undervalued single family homes before human competition. And the question is. Uh, does that phrase human competition also mean the humans working for institutional investors? Uh, it's funny because by his own admission, Steaknet is a nod to Skynet from The Terminator. And you can read about him in Business Insider. Wall Street Journal did a look at him. Uh, the thing is, he's not really... Has he not sold to Zillow yet? He's not compa- this, is the, this is the next twist. This is why he's unique, right? Because he's got this superpower, a brilliant mind applied to real estate. And he has he doesn't just do this for funsies. It's his job. Uh, and he has clients. His clients are not single-family home buyers. His clients are those investors that we're talking about, the ones that rent these things out for long-term profit. He helps them. He bloodhounds for them. And he hasn't named his clients, but he describes them as, quote, hedge funds, high net worth family offices, uh, billion dollar plus private equity firms, institutional investors. And, you know, he got, I think, he got dragged a little bit when these stories came out. But I want to be fair to him. He is he is making a living off the the create off his own work off the product of his own mind and this is like we have to be careful not to not to say the guy's a, a, a villain uh, he's very open about what he has done and he says it's pattern recognition and he applied you know his learnings from chess and analysis of games uh, to real estate to make it a scalable investment and so I, I think that's a story that needs to be told. Not every not every city or metro area is going to have that same kind of extraordinary individual putting their eye on them, but all of these areas described are going to be uh, under the scrutiny of similar programs. This might mean you've got an analyst who is keeping their finger on the pulse of where new offices and factories are being built, right? Like when we were in Austin earlier this summer, the city was abuzz with the, uh, with the new Tesla factory, right? With the news of that being on the horizon. And we've seen similar things uh, in other cities where a large, a large company is coming in. That changes instantly. As soon as that becomes public, that changes the conversation about real estate. And these folks are likely to hear about it well before the public in many cases. You look at public school enrollment data, right? That gives you a leg up. And then you look at year over year stuff and then you can say, okay, we buy here, to your point, Matt, not because it'll be profitable at the end of this year, but because in five years, we're going to have a machine that just makes mailbox money for us. And look, this is not a national problem just yet. We acknowledge that. It's best to be careful of claims here. Many, many people living in the United States have not personally witnessed this, but it's just because they're living in neighborhoods that aren't currently in the scope of these operations. 
And unless someone puts some rules in the game, this will very, very likely become a national problem. You could say it's another symptom of the growing economic divide. You can hang all sorts of conclusions on that hat hook of objectivity. But it's true. This, this is growing. This is not going to go away unless something changes. Um, we mentioned in part one that local politicians in, in our fair metropolis are calling for some sorts of regulation. Like the Atlanta mayor, just in June of this year, uh, Andre Dickens, the new guy, uh, said that he wants to figure out a way to place restrictions or constraints on property investors because the mayor the mayor's office at least is arguing that those investors are driving the surge in home prices. I think there are a lot of things. The Beltline, you know, shout out to Ryan Gravel. Mm, yeah. And it wasn't the Beltline for people that don't know the Beltline is like a, a, a refurbished area of, of commercial railroad uh, that has that kind of been converted into commercial property, real estate, um, and all of that. And initially, if I'm not mistaken, Ben, wasn't the idea that it was going to be for more affordable housing? And then that just kind of mm. went out the window. Yeah. Uh, I believe like it's, it's really, you know, all like overpriced condos and bougie kind of malls and restaurants and things like that. It's really not focusing on, you know, affordable housing like at all. Well, I mean, the film industry moved here, right? Like kind of in tandem. There's all, there's all kinds of things that happen, Ben, as you were saying, it's a massive combination of things that are working working together to make this situation exist. And it, it does feel at times like there is some kind of massive conspiracy to prevent younger people from ever being able to afford owning a home. It feels like that because there are so many factors and so many uh, mechanisms at play. So, but the thing is, as we said before, it's tough to, it's tough to see it as an actual big unified conspiracy and more as just a bunch of different people figured out how to make money in their specific as, way. As, yeah. As the field changed with uh, each previous iteration, look, it's not just, uh, it's not just noble innovations that stand on the shoulders of giants folks. It's everything. And, and I, and I think that's something humans miss often, but a real quick look at the Beltline um, for anyone who is interested in learning more about urban planning, this story always fascinates me. Uh, as a matter of fact, back in the day, we were trying to do a podcast with Ryan Gravel, or I was. Uh, when Ryan Gravel is studying at Georgia Tech, he sees tremendous opportunity in the long-neglected railway system, right? The old rails. And he says, look, we can make this part of two things I care about intensely. We can make this city more walkable, less dependent upon fossil fuels and cars, right? I want a place where people can use mixed transportation, right? Let's get a let's get a train car system on there. You know, let's let's bring that back. Let's make things walkable. Let's have a place where people can bike, you know, and uh, let's make sure that a in his original proposal, a huge part of this is affordable housing to combat uh, the tsunami of gentrification. And this idea, this project takes off. But to your point, uh, like so many other like so many other developer deals to uh, include, you know, 20 percent affordable housing or something in their live, laugh, love or live, work, play, 
whatever, uh, mixed facilities, the affordable housing part quickly gets forgotten. It's just not as uh, profitable, and there are tons of ways to caveat and loophole it. So the construction and development of the Beltline continues apace. I, I would urge anybody who's interested in learning more about this to find uh, Ryan Gravel, follow him online for his work, which I, I find uh, quite inspiring. I, I do classify him out of all the people in uh, in this episode that we've discussed, I do classify him as one of the good guys. And there we go. That's that's the question. How long before this situation changes? Is it going to peter out? Will this plan no longer be viable for profit seekers? Or will it just franchise and expand, you know, and now it'll be like the definition of reality TV Uh, is everything, every genre now, you know, going to be a part of this is every home buying experience going to be part of institutional investors. And I think uh, at some point very soon, all of these companies will be absorbed by American homes for rent because it's just the best name and they're buying up so many houses That's just what it'll be. Anywhere you go within the United States, you will have to contact them and rent the home that you decided you want because it's been chosen for you from with an algorithm. Okay. It's sort of like uh, the giant commercial prison corporation, um, Corrections Corporation of America. They may have rebranded, but you know, it's it's kind of it has the potential to become something of a yeah. Oh, and on I mean. A lot. I'll answer the question. A lot of people are are asking, "Where's Amazon in this? Why isn't Amazon buying up neighborhoods yet?" Well, no. well, that might be on the way, Amazon fans. Uh, but they're a little distracted because the news just broke yesterday, as we record this, that Amazon is buying a medical company. They are buying. One medical, it's $3.9 billion, and it is their first big step into uh, into the privatized health system of the United States. Uh, so, yeah. One medical was already kind of the Amazon of healthcare anyway. It's sort of like a, you know, a way of, of finding a clinic online and getting connected to, to care. So it's it's definitely kind of got that had that vibe already. I'm sure they were positioning themselves for that sale for many years. Yeah, it's they got it for cheaper than they got Whole Foods, which was 13.7 billion in 2017, and they got it for less cash than they did uh, MGM, which they bought for 8.5 billion dollars just earlier this year. And interesting thing about Amazon and One Medical, they are making some institutional investor moves in this because they bought One Medical for $18 a share, all cash baby, all cash. So <laughs> cash is king. Cash rules everything around Cream. me. And us <laughs> and you. So this is uh, so this is where we leave it. We want to know your take, folks. We want to hear your war stories, your horror stories, your success stories. Uh, if you feel comfortable uh, giving any insight or advice to your fellow listeners, we'd love to read that too. We can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. All you have to do is go to your Prime account, uh, log in via uh, Homes for Sale. That's letter four. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, it's social media. Tag us. At us. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, you can you you can add us uh, on on uh, Twitter uh, where we are conspiracy stuff. Uh, we're also conspiracy stuff on um, YouTube where we have daily uh, video posts from our podcast episodes and more fun stuff to come in the near future. Uh, and you can also find us on uh, Instagram where we are conspiracy stuff show. Yes, and we also have a phone number if you don't like social media. Call one eight three three S T D W Y T K. When you call in, please give yourself a cool nick name and then you've got three minutes say whatever you'd like please let us know if we can use your voice and or message on the air that would be huge very much appreciate it if you've got more to say than you can fit in a voicemail why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.